0: If you like Inglorious Treksperts, you'll love The 430 Movie. Available wherever you listen to podcasts or at 430movie.com. Join us every week as we program exclusive fantasy theme weeks full of the movies you grew up on.
1: Boogie down with reformed double girl, Chase Masterson, as she takes you inside Discovery every week on the all-new Star Trek podcast, Disco Nights. From the producers of Inglorious Trexperts, wherever you listen to the 430 movie. And keep looking at the stars.
0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best selling two volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50 Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. <laughs> Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexpers. And today we are joined by uh, two of our favorite guests, um, Rob Meyer Burnett is back. Great to be here. Very honored. And uh, you uh, may remember uh, Mike Sussman's joined us before. He is the co-creator of Perception for TNT. He was a writer producer on Star Trek Voyager, and later on. Uh, Enterprise, and uh, it's
2: great to have you back, Mike Sussman. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks well, for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think today we're going to talk about something a little closer to home. We're going to talk about it being a long road. And I'm not talking about John Rambo either, <laughs> I'm talking about the saga of Star Trek Enterprise.
3: The Warp 5 engine wouldn't be a reality without men like Dr. Cochran and Henry Archer who worked so hard to develop it. So it's only fitting that Henry's son, Jonathan Archer, will command the first starship powered by that engine.
2: Rather than quoting
3: Dr. Cochran, I think we should listen to his own words. From the dedication ceremony for the Warp Five complex, Thirty-two years ago. On this site, a powerful engine will be built. An engine that will someday help us to travel a hundred times faster than we can today. Imagine it. Thousands of inhabited planets at our fingertips. And we'll be able to explore those strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. This engine will let us go boldly And no man has gone before.
1: Or or rather, Enterprise, and then Star Trek Enterprise. That's right. (laughs) Enterprise,
0: and then Star Trek Enterprise. This is a show, I think this is going to be a fascinating episode, whether you love it or loathe it. um, The story of Enterprise is a fascinating one. And Mike was there for its entire four-season run, through two showrunners, through... um, uh, many different iterations through... Uh, many different, different iterations. Many different <laughs> iterations. And and we'll talk about all that today. Um, you know, I think... You know, I'm, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room, of course, which is... Uh, and, and not Dumbo. It, it, it is, I, I think that Enterprise got off on the wrong foot for two reasons uh, with fans. I think one... Was the sort of ill-conceived uh, decision to call it Enterprise to take Star Trek out of the title? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think more more uh, more than that um was the use of the song. I think the song mm-hmm. had more to do with the perception of that show or, or uh, than any other factor. I think I in would terms agree of you. coloring. Uh, Connie what, what do you think Mike I mean
2: yeah. I remember the day after the show premiered we you know just driving on to uh, the Paramount lot going to work there were a couple of people standing outside the gates saying <laughs> we love the show change the song holding up <laughs> sand and, <signs. laughs> and uh, I, I can't say I, I disagree with him um, I, I think on the, on the one hand doing something non-traditional was like a really good idea. I, I think they just picked the wrong song. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, when it was Tempt, it was Tempt with you too.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Beautiful Day, I think. Beautiful yeah. Day,
2: and... and I uh, remember watching that, like, in Brandon's office, and we were all, like, in tears. And, like, Voyager had a great opening title sequence as well. And we loved that. And we didn't know what song they were even considering at that point. Uh, not that we were going to get Beautiful Day or that it even sure. fit, but um, it had the potential it was a good idea. It was a good idea. They just picked the wrong song. My,
1: my feeling when I first saw it was a little bit about how I feel that they're dealing with uh, Star Trek now is that they're scared of it being Star Trek. That that was the feeling that I got from mm-hmm. the show, that it, they were scared of owning the title of Star Trek and they were scared of it feeling like every other show that had been on. And that it, it felt that, like they were almost too cool for school, you know?
4: Yeah, but you know, one of the things that people always complain about is the song, but the actual opening credit sequence, the imagery, it's great. Oh, the idea, lovely. yes, of of not only do you get this incredible uh, sense of exploration and of human history and the progression, there's even Star Trek canon being established as you see starships we haven't seen before, you've seen the evolution of space flight that takes us up to the NX NX program mm-hmm. uh, about the show. Uh, I I was I would object to a few of the things weren't right as far as the timeline was concerned. You saw certain shots after when they should have been, and others before. But it was a beautiful opening title sequence.
0: You know what? Ironically, it reminded me of that wreck deck uh, uh, in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where you see all the progression of all the ships named Enterprise, which ironically the. NXL one is not in because it did, but, right. uh, but it'll be the next director's cut. The, right? right. Uh,
1: yeah. No. <laughs> sorry. Actually, that would be a cool addition, though. Yeah. No, it would not.
2: Well, you sorry. just uh, you don't take any of the ships out. You just uh, you just add uh-huh. another one. Yeah. Well,
0: let, let's sorry. go back. Uh, you, well, before we do, <laughs> you know, you told me when I was doing the fifth-year mission, which is how we met uh, yeah. uh, Michael was. Um, you got me drunk at lunch, and I, told I got you drunk, I never which have told <laughs> you. which 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 was the way I, I operated with most of the people I talked to for the book. It was uh, you know very expensive because. Uh, uh, I, I you know after a while uh, buying all those drinks got some uh, people are more pliable than others. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where's the brandy? <laughs> but, um, but I you know you told me a great story about how at the time you were dating a girl who was an A&R, A rapper for, uh, uh, and R rep for
2: and and you showed her the show, and she when she saw the song. Yeah, she she worked in the music industry and she literally fell off the couch and was rolling on the floor laughing <laughs> at the song. But the
4: song was written for a, it was written for Patch Adams. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't even written for the show. Yeah. It was uh, it was taken from some other movie yeah. by I, Diane Warren, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I, and, they, and they got it for a song, from from right. what I understand. Yeah. That was that was why we ended up using it. And, you know, I think by this point, you know, Rick and everybody in charge had realized, you know, you find people who are Star Trek fans, you get stuff for cheap, including writers. <laughs> right, right. <for laughs> um, sure. But I don't know if that was the way to go. It, it's funny, I think, going back to what something Darren said earlier, I— it, it came off ultimately the song as nerds trying to be cool. Like this is what yeah. this is what nerds think a cool song is, right. or might be to you non-nerd people. And the non-nerd people were not fooled at all. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's uh, it, it is regrettable. I think it did. I, I think for a large part of the audience, as soon as they heard that song, they were like, "What? What is this? What is this cheese?" It's
0: kind
1: of like your dad wearing tight jeans. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Is
0: that what it's like? Well, like I want to I want to go back because you know you were. Um, uh, had been working on Voyager. You were on Voyager. Um, you know, at the last season, uh, Brandon steps aside. Ken Biller takes over. Uh, obviously, there were rumblings internally about a new show in the offing. Tell me what that was like. What you were hearing. You know, were you excited about the prospect of working on a new show? And 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 kind of, you know, what that's like when you hear you are. You know, you're you're a Voyager. You're thinking about Voyager, and suddenly you hear, oh, this is gonna be another Star Trek spinoff. Now, of course. For those of you who haven't listened to other episodes in which Mike... Mike's a big fan of Star Trek. I'm a big, big fan of of Star Trek. So, you know, uh, obviously the the idea of a new Star Trek series must have been exciting for
2: you. Uh, it, it was, certainly. Um, you know, I'd sold a bunch of, of stories freelance to Voyager over the years and, and then was lucky enough to... You know, I started working with a partner, Phil Strong, and uh, we got invited onto the show, but it was like a quarter of the way through what was the final season. So it was it was an interesting time to, to join a show when it's wrapping up. And Brandon had taken a step back and we were told that he and Rick were working on the pilot for the new series and we didn't know anything about it. There were rumors that it might be a prequel, but that was all I, I know. I remember one point we were developing a Voyager story and there was a, I think there was a character we'd introduced that had a, a telepathic angle and that could understand communication telepathically and we were asked to take it out. Because at the time, that had stepped on their idea of Hoshi—that she was going to have this, mm. not telepathic, but like she could pick up languages, like you know, super fast. Um, but I—we didn't really know anything about it. And then I think in like March or April, it was Phyllis and I again. We're we're just we're trying not to get fired from this show that's going off <laughs> the air. And um, in March or April, uh, we got called into Brannon's office very suddenly. And uh, given the script for the pilot for Enterprise, and said, "This is what you know, Rick and I have been doing. This is the new series. Uh, uh, we'd like you two to to come aboard. You're, you're the first people we're bringing on board. And um, and now you're done with Voyager. So get out of here. Go on vacation. Come back in two weeks. You're running wow. for Enterprise. And we were thrilled. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was really interesting." You know, reading that script, at this point, nobody had been cast. Nobody, you know, I hadn't heard the name Scott. I, there were no designs for the Enterprise. So you're reading this pilot script. Um, at the time, I think it was the SS Enterprise, you know. Uh, and even, I think it was even described as looking more like a rocket ship than mm-hmm. our familiar starship. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of mind-blowing to be, to be reading this script. Um, and, uh, you know, we were, we were totally on board and, and, and both, you know, really taken with it.
4: Was it always going to be called Enterprise? I mean, was there ever any talk that it would be called anything else? Was it was always going to be this, the Enterprise?
2: Yeah, that's what I recall. And again, I think the the intention. I don't think they were trying to walk away from Star Trek at all. I think there was the, uh, and and they and I think they, you know, Rick and others said this as much that you know we're we're trying to find new fans. We're trying to bring aboard people who you know don't know all the you know the canonical stories with Borg and Voyager and, you know, how do you, how do you bring on new viewers? And uh, I, I think that was one possible, you know, thing that was running through their mind. Take Star Trek out of it. It may not be as off-putting, perhaps, to, to some people. Um, but I think there was also the idea that the word enterprise is just synonymous with Star Trek. Right. So in right. some ways, it's kind of redundant. And yeah. and honestly, the, the, the new, you know, what, what the show is now marketed under, to me, it's a. I I much prefer the simpler title. I, I don't think they were trying to walk away from Star Trek. I think they were just trying to get away from Star Trek spaceship, Star Trek spaceship, which is now I think we're now stuck with right. <laughs> right, right. for for moving from forward the foreseeable future. And also, I I know that you know UPN, uh, of course. Uh, uh, you know, insisted on the name change, but the scripts never changed. The production, nothing on the. So as far as the production was concerned, to was the no, end, no difference. Yeah, the show is always called Enterprise. Only different in your mind. One, yeah. one of the
4: elements that I thought was actually quite interesting and refreshing that was in the pilot is the Vulcans and their role. How you guys really flipped the script and and made the Vulcans the antagonists, we talk about Star Trek having antagonists, the Vulcans were, from episode to episode, sort of keeping humanity in its place, probably for good reason, but was that something that was always in the original conception of the show? Because I felt that was one of the things that made Enterprise really unique, and the developing relationship between humanity and and the Vulcans, especially between Archer and Soval, was something that really kept the show fresh. Was that there from the beginning?
2: That was there from the beginning. But, uh, you know, I will say that that kind of became a point of contention among the fans. I mean, you look back in the original series, and aside from Spock, most of the Vulcans you run into were pretty much jerks. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, in order to keep them active in the stories, to make them uh, antagonists, I think, was a really good idea. But you're also working against the audience and their love of Spock. So you want to see Vulcans that sort of reflect his character. And so, you know, in 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 making the more, uh, you know, more of an antagonist, I think a lot of people felt, well, this isn't this isn't Spock, the, the, this isn't Spock's people. We we remember him, and and uh, this isn't how he got along with everybody. Why aren't they? Then they wouldn't have served the function we needed them who serve in the story, which is the civilization that was very concerned about humanity and holding them back.
1: I don't think it's so, it was so much of a problem with the writing of them because I thought the writing ideas were really good. I think it's the it was the ongoing problem of finding actors who could pull off Vulcans believably without looking goofy because that's really hard to portray certainly a standard Vulcan, let alone a Vulcan with human undertones the way Spock was. Sure. But... It's, it's really tough to portray these, uh, these very, you know, controlled characters without just looking like bad actors. Sure.
2: Well, I, you know, I thought Gary Graham did a great job. I and thought he was, he was right. like a pilot and we had him Absolutely. All, all four and years. And Jolene, too. Yeah. Well, Jolene definitely evolved
0: into what was a really good performance. Now, am I mistaken? And, and, and you know, I'd always heard that the original plan for Jolene had been for her to be to pow
2: and that they changed it early on to to T'Pol. Yeah, I believe the very first script that uh, we got, I think it was T'Pol, and it was later changed uh, for legal and money reasons.
3: I can't compensate. The refusion pressure is still dropping. If our orbit decays any further, we'll be detected.
5: they had gone to Earth to investigate the launch of its first artificial satellite called Sputnik. During their third week of gathering information about humanity, their impulse manifold began to malfunction. They had no choice but to attempt an emergency landing.
3: Trying to find an isolated area. Send a distress
2: call to the High Command. One
5: hundred kilometers.
3: Deploy the stabilizers.
5: Our landing vector is too steep.
0: Right, because then uh, they have to pay for
4: uh, character rights. To, like Tom uh, Paris was not, was not the Nick character, LeCarno. not Nick
0: Lacarno yeah. from right. the First Duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. Voyager. No, that's interesting. Now, uh, you know, one of the things <laughs> what Rob has dubbed the Brandon Braga apology tour, but you know, Brandon has been very open about. You've uh, done a lot of great interviews. A lot of. Um, you know, talked a lot reflecting on what they did right and what may have done wrong on Enterprise. And I'm always fascinated when he talks about that the original idea that Rick and him had hoped for was to keep it on Earth for the first year Mm -hmm. before they even go into space and that the network really rebuffed them on that. And I I think that that would have been a very different show and, and, and a very interesting one.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, again, these arguments were going on, you know, way above my pay grade. Sure. And I think, you know, many months before I came aboard, I, I, think he said also that initially he and Rick didn't even want to put the transporter on, on mm-hmm. the ship, just have that not, uh, you know, be a technology yet. Which you know, I kind of wish we we didn't have. I mean, you know, maybe it just appears later or, it's or something. It's a real Deus Ex yeah, mm-hmm. Um and, and it even and it, the transporter ends up solving the day at the end of the pilot, and it's like right. already, <laughs> already, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think their their inclination was to was to take things back uh, a little further technologically. Uh, we also, I think, could have taken humanity back further socially. And, you know, does it have to be a united, peaceful planet Earth? You know, can't we be a little less, you know, federation like in our in our outlook? See how that's all forged, how it all comes how it comes together. Exactly the, the perfectibility of man. How
0: do we go from being imperfect? To perfect, um, it was also a very large staff by Star Trek standards, and I know there was a combination of people like you who had uh, the experience of working on Star Trek, um, and and new Star Trek, and then they brought in a lot of new writers who who didn't know Star Trek, and uh, and and that didn't necessarily work to their I- advantage. Do you remember what it was like in those early days, sort of? You know, trying to break stories and work with all these people who weren't familiar with, you know, this. At that point, it must have been what
2: 600 episodes, 600 hours of mm-hmm. Star Trek um, yeah. that had already been produced. Um, no, I, I, I do remember, and again, I, I feel like it came out of the, you know, the, the very best intentions from from the folks at the top wanting to bring in new voices to Star Trek. You had a lot of people who had, you know, been there for a while, sure. and um, so and. You know, to Rick and, and Brandon's credit, they, they wanted to make uh, Enterprise more character-focused, so they they looked at people who could write really great characters. Um, and th- there had been writers in the history of the franchise who had not known necessarily a whole lot about Star Trek and kind of came in and picked it up. Um, so, th- yeah, there was a, a very large first-season writing staff, um, and most of them did not last after that. after that first year, and and there were a lot of... They didn't live long, (laughs) for sure. But I I remember a lot of conversations where, um, I mean, look, the the show was still trying to find its style and its voice Mm -hmm. and how retro and prequel was it. It, Ultimately, it ended up being a lot more like the other shows than I imagined they They thought it would be or or planned it to be. Um, So that knowledge of what had been done before or what would be done in the future... Um, and ended up being pretty necessary because, uh, you know, there had been a board, um, a, a whiteboard uh, on the show. I think it had been erased even by the, long before I, I, I got there on staff that was basically filled with all the Star Trek cliches, all mm-hmm. the you know, two civilizations fighting each other and, um, you know, all the things they didn't want to do. And so they had a large crop of writers who... Just didn't have that. They didn't have that history. They didn't. They didn't know what had been done. And so, even though we were a prequel, we didn't want to just recycle old stories. We wanted new ones. Yeah. And to know what the new ones were going to be, you had, sort of had to know what had been done before. So, a lot of really talented writers who who went on to uh, you know great success elsewhere. Oh, sure. You
0: look at the Jack Matans who. Uh, Marie and and her husband, who went on to do Mad Men from yeah, Enterprise, When Emmys and win Emmys, yeah. And then you know I worked with Antoinette Stella on in her next show, which was Necessary Roughness. Yeah. Um, and there were a bunch of people who've gone on to do. Fred
2: Decker just uh, wrote the last Predator y- movie.
0: Yeah. Right. Fred just uh, the you know and, and Fred was consulting producer that first season. So there was a
2: terrific people. And Fred was a good writer and and, re- and knew Star Trek as well. He was uh, he he wrote I think our, our first Andorian episode. Um, but a part of it was also a lot of you know I, Phyllis and I had the advantage of we knew Star Trek and we, we were coming off of Voyager. Well you knew the system there too. We did know the system yeah, yeah the, the, <laughs> there was definitely a system and a style I mean I mm-hmm. mean you don't want to turn this into a, you know a seminar on how to be a you know staff writer on a TV show but uh, as big a fan as I was of Star Trek and having seen everything I I really tried to get the vibe of this new show and I mean I would read, Rick and Brandon scripts over and over again until I had them memorized mm-hmm. to just kind of get the cadence of mm. of the characters and and what they were thinking because these characters were new to all of us we mm-hmm. just did not know there, very early on I remember my uh, well Phyllis had gave a note to Brandon Brandon had asked this new staff that he'd put together what do you you know any thoughts on the pilot we, we want to make it as good as possible and Phyllis said I thought um, to Paul sounds a lot like Seven of Nine. Mm. And she did she really did and I you know I think we hadn't quite burned that out of uh, the system yet and uh later he, he did a pass and her voice had changed and became more vulcany and uh and and less of that that character that we were all familiar with but uh yeah any show was trying to find itself in the in the first season but I, th- I think Rick and Brandon really had the best intentions to bring new voices in, and a lot of people, new people, did come in over over the next couple of years. How did, did the,
1: how did the writing change, uh, if at all, when you started to see the actors performing these characters? Uh, did did that you know? Obviously, it probably helped you inform you as to what these characters were evolving into. Sure. But at what point did that sort of did you start seeing their performances and start to sort of integrate that? I,
2: it was incredibly helpful I, when you're just writing for a name and a description. It and we really had no template for mm-hmm. for anybody. I mean, I imagined thinking that Archer was probably you know very Kirk-like, so I was imagining you know a Shatner-esque personality. But everybody else was completely up Nebulous. in the air. Yeah. Um, and so when we got those first dailies back, we we just watched them over and over again to get the the you know the cadence of the voice and like very quickly for me. Uh, Trip Tucker became, like, kind of the favorite character to write for. He mm-hmm. was, you know, kind of, the, he fulfilled the sort of Bones role. Sure. He was the one who was sort of the most contemporary in, in how talked. Um, so he talked. So he, I found for whatever reason, like, dialogue for him just kind of poured out, and a lot of that was was the the performer as well. Uh, it's really hard to write with, without that that character having been cast. It's yeah, uh, It was a real sure. challenge. Yeah.
4: Now, was there a thought obviously television itself as a medium was changing from being episodic to being more serialized. And obviously you saw as Enterprise went on, season three and then season four had different ways of serializing things. Was the Star Trek format uh, thought to be adhered to? but after coming off of deep space 9 where was serialized more was enterprise in the first season where did you want to serialize it more i mean you had through lines mm-hmm. like with the andorians and with the vulcans but there wasn't one overarching so to speak over archer an overarching story uh how did that how did the the changing face of television play right. into what you were doing you know i
2: think looking back now it's it's obvious the big change that tv was going through I, when we were living in it i i don't know that it was I don't know that we had a mandate to change the format. Uh, Deep Space Nine, I loved. Um, they're you know, like there's a reason why they've called themselves the bastard stepchild <laughs> of right, Star yeah, Trek on it. Right. So I don't know that we were, you know, we were certainly under no um, uh, orders to make it make the show more serialized. That said, we did have the, you know, the uh, temporal Cold War storyline, which started in the pilot and we revisited, but you know, very infrequently. Um, but I think that, I think television really was changing at that time. And, 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 two things I think were, were sort of, I, I, th- I think ultimately responsible for, for the reception that Ener- enterprise received, plus how we look back on it now. I, you know, you had the same production crew making more or less the same television show right. for, you know, at that point, what, almost 12, 13, 12, years. 13 years. And as great as the show looked, the visual effects, the you know the costumes, the the set, the show still had kind of like a late '80s, early '90s element about it, right. and
0: yeah, which lack it, of camera movement, the scores, sure, the, the act breaks, not not handheld. It was it was a lot. everything was. On it was the, a
2: formula that worked. Yeah. So I you know I, I understand again what you know why they not, not only is it hard to change, but if you're asking the same people who've been doing that for mm-hmm. so long. To change it. That's yeah. that's they used th- to doing things a certain way, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was and, a
1: shop style for it, yeah.
2: And you could even argue, not again, I, I, I don't remember these discussions, but you could argue, well, that's what Star Trek is, and that's what the audience expects, and that's what we should give them. Mm. Uh, I don't subscribe to that. I, uh, the other thing that I think, uh, really colors, uh, particularly those first two seasons is 9 11. 9 11 happened, we were, I think, on the air a few weeks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, we were shooting an episode that uh, I had written with Phyllis and it was this lighthearted romp on an alien planet and they're... I can't even stand to watch the episode now because it reminds me of that awful right. day. Also, it was supposed to be a lighthearted episode. Meanwhile, in the, in the world, all this awful stuff, and that was bleeding into the performances. So the episode itself is, is no fun to watch. Yeah, people who are too young to remember or you know, weren't born
0: cannot imagine what that was like I mean it was like being stabbed through the heart and you know a lot of us you know from the east coast you know we knew people who died that day and uh, even for people who aren't from the east coast but it was just such a horrifying uh thing I mean not since Pearl Harbor had America ever been you know attacked on our own soil and um civilians and uh, you know the World Trade Center was such an icon of New York and of the country and 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 uh it was it was so um i mean we were walking around in a day days for for you know days if not weeks you know i mean it 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 truly and and it's amazing and and i remember all the the pundits would say this changes everything you know we look at it now and it's history to most people it didn't change anything
2: i remember people like john stewart how can he even tell jokes anymore how yeah. can they do the david letterman show uh, yeah.
0: everybody was preempted for for days if not weeks right and i remember it was letterman who came back first who said well you know it'll be a catharsis let's just deal with it rather right. than you know and 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 it was because it was a tw- you know 24 7 news cycle just dealing with this because of course you had 9-11 then you had the retaliation and the evaluation you know the invasion of afghanistan and then iraq and it was it was uh you know we were living through history you know
4: there was something else too about enterprise as much as i i thought the the sets were incredibly impressive and i love the production design but the color was bled out of the show star trek had always had these the uniforms were vibrant colors yeah, was and very this every yeah. blue jumpsuits with the their their the color of their rank or their departments were were piping on the suits right. and because the 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 sets were predominantly gunmetal and grays and darker colors there was sort of a dour feel just to watch the show. Well, they
0: wanted a submarine in space, and I guess, well, that sounds great on paper, you know, visually in terms of a show where characters have to interact. I mean, it's like, you know, I love Crimson Tide and I love Hunt for Red October, but week to week to have our characters interact in that kind of a, a setting... Uh, it could feel very claustrophobic, and I, I I do feel that maybe an enterprise that 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 didn't help.
4: I mean, the sets yeah. were incredible, engineering, beautiful. Herman Zimmerman's <laughs> some of his best work,
2: uh, but they were all the same color. I think they, they. Well, I remember they they changed all the uniforms at, at one point. It was very subtle, mm-hmm. but the, the uniforms were like sort of a too dark too dark of a blue. They mm-hmm. weren't, and I forget which episode it was. It was early in the first season, and. Uh, suddenly all the main cast had much brighter blue mm. uh, uniforms that, that kind of popped out. And you could see in the background some of the old ones. It's like when Next Gen would go through their right. mm-hmm. uniform changes. Well, it's usually
0: when they did a new movie and they had money to, you know, and so, like, after First Contact, everything changed. Or not First... Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, well, for uh, Deep uh, Space yeah. Nine, they changed Yeah, the they changed everything because now they had all spent all this money on new uniforms and everything Everything changed. And in
2: future seasons, I, I think that had been a mandate for season four to really brighten it up. Uh, the... the, the the bridge got a, a lot more colorful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the idea that we were that the uniforms seem to be like descended from you know, NASA jumpsuits, but mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see them like covered with you know mission patches and stuff right. like that. I hope that would have been really cool. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that.
0: But you know, it's interesting because you know you talked about. You know, nobody was saying use DS9 as a model for serialization or anything. Or, because, you know, at the time, Deep Space Nine, at least in the eyes of anyone who, who, who evaluated it on a non-critical level, but from a money perspective, a ratings perspective, nobody was pointing Deep Space Nine as an example for anything. You know, it was a failure, you know, in their eyes, you know. And, and uh, uh, so, so no one was saying, let's use this as the template. It was an outlier. And, you know, what they wanted they tend to do with Voyager, was do a show more in the next generation vein. And I know there was a lot of lip service paid. Enterprise there was going to be a throwback to the original show. But, you know, until Manny shows up, there's not really a uh, sense that it is a throwback to, to yeah. the original well, show.
2: Well, you, you know, you had some people at the top who were, you know, not n- not not fans of the original show. They were just sort of, um, you know, maybe a little indifferent to it. Um, but, you know, getting back to the 9-11 angle, I, I think why this television was changing the show was already i think you know in many ways as i was saying a a little old style uh, a a little familiar and then 9 9 11 and changing everything there was this huge question like how do we as entertainers as storytellers respond to this Mm -hmm. ultimately uh you know a lot of shows embraced it if i remember 24 was already uh, in its first Mm -hmm. season Mm -hmm. and uh i remember reading at the time some hand wringing like you know how can we do a fictional version of this when it's like going on in our, now that show ended up, you know, totally, you know, plugging into the, you know, the zeitgeist yeah, and, sure. and, and, and having a, a terrific run uh, with some Star Trek writers later uh, uh, attached to it. But we didn't quite know how to respond to it. And it took, it took a long time to figure out if we should even address it uh, again, because you know, we as people were just sort of reeling from it. Um, and but for instance by the time season two came along it felt like i i think 911 was probably i don't know it was certainly less than a year in the in the past when, when we got there but we were not we were not addressing it and uh part of that was well you know let's give people i think, one argument was, look, well, let's give them escapism. Let's give them a story. Sure. So, mm-hmm. Because we are dealing with this horrible war, we should stay true to our values. But there's a point, I think, where you start to feel like these stories are just out of touch. Right. So it's then connected. season three did a complete pivot. And, we, you know, we did a season-long long arc that was, you know, uh, pretty obviously, uh, you know, an allegory for 911. 11 yeah. um, This indie arc
0: Anna, of embracing serialization for the first time on that show.
3: shape. I can't deny that. But we're still in one piece. Enterprise is a tough ship. She took more than anyone could ask her to, and then some. And so have all of you. I wanted to say thank you. I only wish I could thank the 18 crewmen who were lost. Like you, they understood how important our mission is. And they accepted the risks we came into the expanse not knowing what we'd find with no one to rely on but ourselves but we're going to succeed to accomplish our mission for everyone on earth who's relying on us and for the 18.
2: yeah so we went from Kind of, you know, do our own thing, standalone to a complete 180, and then doing serialized for I don't know if we did 24 or 26 that season. That is a long, that is a long run to to tie all those uh, episodes together, um, which was it was it was hard. It was brutal. I, you know, a lot of great episodes in that season. Well,
0: before we get to this indie I do want to talk about we skipped over a little bit of Scott Bakula. Now he was cast very close to production. Did you have those meetings? Like you know, a lot of times when you're starting a show, your top of the call sheet will come in and meet with the writers and talk about how they see the character, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you'll talk, ask them questions about themselves, and it's all warm and fuzzy, and it's a big love fest. But was it, you know, what was it like with Bacula and Had you always knew you were gonna there was gonna be a star at the top of this, and 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 were there other people names in the mix, or how'd that all come about?
2: Uh, the only other name I ever heard, and it was it was an actor who. Desperately wanted the role, and he'd he'd reached out. <laughs> and he'd been on Star Trek before. It was Miguel Ferrer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who was lobbying and lobbying and, and calling. And I I don't know if they met with him or not. Wouldn't that
0: have been interesting?
2: I think I love so. Miguel Ferrer. Yeah, yeah, me too. And he
0: was great on Twin Peaks. You know, he obviously he in Star Trek four He has a brief role in Star Trek Four. Great Star, 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 Star Trek three. three. Star Trek Three. Right. He's like the helm officer on the Excelsior. He's such you. a quirky, interesting. Uh, guy with a great sarcastic acerbic delivery and then he went on to much success on Crossing Jordan
2: I think it was or one of those procedural mm-hmm. shows one mm-hmm. of those many Let's Solve the Murder of the Week shows and we would have also saved on the uh, voiceover for the Coming Next Week episode because right. he could have done that as well <laughs> right.
0: yeah, yeah because he was a right. huge voiceover down.
2: he did all the Paramount's uh, right. trailers at the time yeah, yeah. Um, again I don't know how serious <laughs> that was but uh, from what I understand the the studio was was pursuing Scott for this and there were moments where we were like well it's, you know they can't work out a deal Scott's not going to do it now we're effed <laughs> um, what are we going to do but uh, so they, they were they were pursuing him as, as I understand it more or less from the beginning Sure.
4: another thing I think is, is interesting that I think the show doesn't get enough credit for is you have your typical Star Trek story of the week that you guys pursued in the first two seasons but you also had to do this sort of we're showing you the beginnings of the federation and there was some really interesting political stuff like when you brought in the andorians and their relationship to the vulcans like with episodes in the shadow in the shadow of pagem mm-hmm. i think when you, and you find out the vulcans aren't just being mean to <laughs> to humanity you know and there's there's some really interesting world building for the star trek universe that you guys were were getting in there yeah. even though you had to do your standard Star Trek stories, but there was there was stuff that was new to the Star Trek universe and I thought I, I thought for sure Rick Berman would never do a show where the Andorians later became power players and, and indeed right. in, in beloved characters. Well not only
0: that, he had said very early on in the run of next generation, no antenna. No antenna. So you never thought he would do the Andorians, period. So He's- there was there was
4: glimmers of some really great stuff going on, even in the first season of Enterprise.
2: Yeah. And we really dove into that later in the show's run and, and- Again, this is this the the kind of quandary for the show. You want to bring in new viewers who don't know all of this stuff, yet. I, as a writer and as a fan, love like the politics of the Federation. I mean, I just do. I, I want to. I want to see how you know the Tellarites and the Andorians and the Vulcans didn't get along and why they didn't get along and what. It, it, I, I imagine someone who's new to the franchise just being like you know their eyes glazing over when mm-hmm. when they hear that. So. I, I can understand why they wanted to avoid it initially. And when we brought in the Andorians, it was a very cool action episode. They were sort mm-hmm. of terrorists. and um, and But then ultimately we find out the Vulcans were the ones responsible for this and they brought it on themselves. It, it, again, I think that was a Fred Decker well, script.
1: It's, it's a very interesting yeah. thing because it, it goes back to – I remember the story about uh, how Lincoln set up his cabinet as a team of rivals that you know work together and they have different needs and different desires – but they could work together for a common goal.
2: There was an episode I did a rewrite on. We did a three-parter with the Andorians. In the, I, th- I think it was called United. I think Judy and Gar had, had written the script. That was the fourth season. The Fourth season, yeah. That's
0: the one to start with the Forge. Uh, no, that's the Vulcan uh, story. Oh, United the, was
2: the the all three.
4: The different races are fighting against a common enemy. Who's doing what to whom and what's right, going the, on? Well,
2: the Romulans were right. uh, Sort of, you know, the the audience knew it was the Romulans, but the characters didn't because again right. we're trying right, to stick sure. to canon. But I got to to write a scene for that script that answered a question that Enterprise was sort of bringing up. And it, it, to me, how do you how do you get from Enterprise is presenting a Star Trek universe where Earth is really the backwater place? We right. kind do of, we don't have the technology. We're kind of new to all this. You have the Vulcans, the Tellarites. Everybody is so much more advanced. How do we end up like the capital of the? Right. It just made zero sense. And so in that episode, I got to to write a a cool little speech for Archer and, and Paul, where they're trying to figure out they actually get a clue because they have run into the Romulans before. They haven't seen them. They run into their ships and they get a clue that this mystery ship that's attacking them might in fact be Romulan. And I, I got to s- spin out my theory, which was that because humans were new on the scene, everybody else was kind of fighting with each other and didn't trust anybody. But because we were the new kids, everybody could kind of get along with us. and didn't have a beef against us that went back hundreds of years. So we were like the one planet you could agree upon like, okay, we'll put the headquarters there. They can be the capital of the Federation. That's fine. They'll be the peacemakers. We don't hate them yet.
3: Up until about a hundred years ago, there was one question that burned in every human that made us study the stars and dream of traveling to them. Are we alone? Our generation, is privileged to know the answer to that question. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. Yet, the more I've experienced, the more I've learned that no matter how far we travel or how fast we get there the most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star they're within us woven into the threads that bind us all of us each other The final frontier begins in this hall let's explore it together
2: <laughs> So again, I love the politics of all that stuff. How much a, a casual viewer was interested. I don't know. By that point all the casual viewers were gone and all we had <laughs> well, left. We had David Mark. Goodman on
0: the show recently and, you know, David was talking about when he wrote his book, Star Trek Federation, he went back and looked at enterprise and he said it's remarkable how much of that groundwork was actually held up and made sense and was you know, he was really able to mine it for that book that he wrote, the Star Trek Federation. And, you know, it's a lot like, you know, America, you know, pre World War One where we sort of like you know, there were all these great powers in Europe. And then suddenly, you know, after we basically, you know, go into World War I and we're the ones with all the money and all the resources, that suddenly America starts to become, you know, more and more important until, you know, World War II where we really become, sure. you know, the American century really begins. So it's, 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 it's great that you can mine all this stuff and you can find it, you know, in, in, in the show. Um, and you mentioned the temporal Cold War. It's so interesting because I actually love the idea of the Temporal Cold War. And Brandon talks about how he grafted this idea for another show about a Temporal Cold War because he felt they needed something else. And it's funny because... It just never goes anywhere. It's never resolved. It's kind of like this weird thing that pops up from time to time. And it's a shame because I think there's a great show in the Temporal Cold War. It just felt out of place in Enterprise, the idea of it being a prequel and a sequel to Star Trek, because it it, it worked better as a prequel than it worked as a sequel
2: in a sense. Yeah, I think Brandon would probably totally agree with that. Um, It was, as I understand it, kind of a mandate from the the studio or the network to, Mm -hmm. to tie it to tie the show into the future shows in some way and they so they didn't
0: want a prequel at all they want they want right. a, a show set after Voyager and then but you know basically Rick felt that they needed to go back there was no way to go forward
4: well since you brought it up since we have you here who was Future Guy
2: oh I have no clue <laughs> come on you
4: guys didn't have any
2: idea no I can't remember who the actor was I mean it wasn't it wasn't even anybody I, I think I've, I mean I've read interviews with Brandon years later where he said it was going to be Scott but like we never heard that right i don't think they knew
0: wasn't matt Frewer, was it <laughs> i don't know how uh, it was michael mcguffer but I, I don't know it how um, you ever you know you, you never answer that question it's such a weird because once the Zindi storyline supplants that storyline it's kind of like it's a, it's kind of just abandoned and it's it's a, it's very odd it's very odd but then so you get into this arc um storyline with the Zindi. you know how exciting was that for you as a writer and what was it like breaking that season, you know, and how, how were things changing for you, uh, you know, on, on the show for at that point?
3: UPN Friday on an all-new Star Trek Enterprise. They are subjects in an alien experiment. They're being observed. They can't begin to understand. I have no explanation. Our immune system can't fight silicon. But somebody always dies. I've seen the whole crew die. It will take them to the edge of death. She's gone and beyond what did you do to all new star trek enterprise
2: uh i mean it was great and insane all at the same time that's sort of uh, my memory uh of it uh, i mean it was so daunting the, the idea of doing I, I mean obviously deep space 9 was heavily serialized uh and i you know i'd have to go back to look just, yeah like, see which, which, yeah. which season was was more serialized um, you know, there, there were a lot of great episodes. And uh, I, t- I think particularly towards the end of the Zindi arc, it really picked up and, and really got super serious. But, you know, when we started that third season... Um, you know, we done you know fifty two episodes, and not a single member of the crew had like died on a mission. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I kept trying to like kill them <laughs> off, and the and the, the deaths kept getting written out of the scripts. <laughs> I, I did an early episode and and killed off a character. It was the there's a, there's a character in we did an episode Strange New World, uh, where a guy gets beamed up, and the transporter ends up combining him with like vegetation, and and we were gonna have him die, and and I wrote it, and we were gonna do it, and then. Uh, uh, Scott uh, reached out to Rick and Brandon and thought that uh, if we were going to kill off a character, we had to make it was it, this had never happened before on on the show, so we had to kind of make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. So that and then it was like, well, we either have to like embrace it, and then the shows about this guy who died, mm-hmm. who we kind of don't care about. Right. Um, so we we had him had him live, but <laughs> so we ended up not killing anybody off for like two entire seasons, and then uh, I think it was the second episode of season uh, three where I got to. Got to write an episode where we finally got to kill somebody. It was, it was, uh, uh Brandon had named him Crewman Fuller, uh, as, as an homage to our, uh, Brian, our, our former colleague. Um, and, uh, I can't remember if we killed anyone else in that episode, but yeah, by the, by the end of that season, I think like a third of the crew had been killed off at one point or another. But yeah, it felt like we were finally doing something serious and, uh, well, not that we hadn't done things that were serious before, but something with uh, you know great stakes. Um, I got to do a really fun episode that incorporated some alternate realities and alternate futures. Where in the teaser, I, I blew up the Earth. I mean, that felt like that was new for Star Trek. <laughs> um, had, hadn't seen that before. Um, but you know, there was part of me even at the time, and, and certainly still now, even it, again, the, the Zindi were a, a cool concept for an alien race. But you know, would have been neat if it had been the Romulans. Right,
4: right. There right. was some also like in the first two seasons. Like one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek is *Cogenitor*, which I still think is is one of the, a great episode of Star Trek, a really interesting science fiction episode, and it was a great episode of that show. Um, and that was in in the first two seasons. And I think that were you guys proud after those first two seasons before you completely basically changed the premise of the show with the Zindi arc, did you have what you felt were high water marks
2: in the first two seasons? Uh, yeah, I mean, all the ones I wrote I thought were terrific.
0: Yeah, I really, <laughs> well, you know, I gotta tell you, I really like,
2: you know, Regeneration, which is the
0: Borg episode, which mm-hmm. I thought was very clever. You know, how do you integrate the Borg, you know, given the fact that they weren't encountered till Q Who in in Star Trek canon to, you know, uh, you know, have a Borg uh, show, and I think it's a really good show. And I I love the way it opens, like the thing, you know. And there's this great CG, you know, st- wide establishing shot. It really opens up the show, and the entire teaser is with characters. they are like, what show is this? Because you don't even see <laughs> right. the Enterprise characters until like deep into Act One, you know. And it's 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 a really good episode.
2: Yeah, and that was that was a fun one to do. Um, I I'd done some Borg uh, stories on on Voyager, but. Yeah. I, I think we had you know, defanged the Borg to a certain extent. They, you know, we had Seven of Nine on, mm-hmm. on the crew yeah. and they, they, they weren't that scary anymore. So it was great to make them scary again and have the audience ahead of the characters. Mm-hmm. To me, that was kind of like now That's you're fulfilling that. your prequel premise. You know? right, we're, right, right. We're, we're telling Archer, don't go board that ship. Uh, you know, don't, t- don't take those guys in the sick bay. It's, it's not going to end well.
0: <laughs> yeah and you, it's totally like that get out of the house you know right. it's in a, and it's the same thing it's like no just kill them blow up the ship what are you doing right. <laughs> It's it's really funny so now we get to to fourth season where the show changes completely again with the Manny would come out on the third season um but now the writing's on the wall it looks like this is probably going to be the last season. The ratings are down. Uh, it's not attracting a new audience. Um, Star Trek overall is is has, has, it's not uh, has not not necessarily even Enterprise, but it's been on a slow decline. Uh, it's on a new network that doesn't really understand Star Trek. That's telling you to write boy bands into episodes mm-hmm.
2: and. Well, the sh- network was only a year or two away from being canceled itself, so.
0: It's an expensive show, because even though it's only season four, it's a lot of these people who, like you said, have been around for decades. So they're they're getting paid. Uh, They're not getting paid like they're on the fourth season of a new show. They're getting paid like they're on the 14th uh, season of a hit show. So uh, it it, it makes it very difficult. So now you're going to this new season. Manny Cotto is now the de facto showrunner. And he has some very strong ideas about where to take the show.
2: Uh, yeah no we we just we let our freak flag fly uh that final season it it was it was awesome it was you know <laughs> i've i've gone on and worked on a lot of other shows and you know co created a show of my own that fourth season of enterprise is the, the most fun i've ever had in this business and it may end up <laughs> being the most fun I ever have because we were playing in that sandbox um and you know it, and it was it was wonderful to hear that you know from the you know three or four people who were still watching that, <laughs> that that they were enjoying it as well and you know i i i think obviously we did we did a lot of tie-ins to the original series and some of some of the others uh you know if you take like those four those fourth season episodes and imagine a you know a universe where they're interspersed throughout the entire four seasons that would be like more of a balance instead yeah, of kind of yeah. cram them sure, all in sure, there sure. at the sure. end um but uh it was it was it was great fun and you know we wanted we wanted to wrap the show up we you know that sort of ended on the on the on the founding of the federation we had to you know jump through time a little to 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 have that make sense but you know show that show that organization coming together showing the people coming together and the and the show really felt like Star Trek in that way, we were finally seeing again, kind of crammed into that one season, uh, seeing those races, those characters all come together for this, you know, common purpose. Tell us what what
0: was it like because I remember you telling me the story about coming to the writers' room. It was either at the end of uh, the third season, the beginning of fourth season, seeing that whiteboard, and it was all these references, the things that had happened in Star Trek history, and it's like, this is what I wanna do, and just how how exciting that was.
2: Well, we were were waiting to find out if we were gonna be picked up for a fourth season, and uh, and Rick and Brandon had done something (laughs) very clever, in that they wrote season three as a cliffhanger, and it was not entirely clear when they wrote that that we were gonna get to wrap up that storyline, and so we shot it, sent the actors home, and I guess a week or two later, um, uh, the new executives running UPN noticed that we'd written a cliffhanger and were possibly, you know, they were going to get a lot of blowback if they canceled the show. And they and they insisted on a, you know, a reshoot. Or re- and it was, sorry, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? We're wrapped. Yeah. We're wrapped. <laughs> uh, so they kind of had to pick up the show. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I remember coming into the office. Manny had called me and, you know, Brandon had, you know, decided to take us a step back and focus on some other things he was still very much there writing stories giving notes through that fourth season but uh, we didn't have an official pickup and it was getting really late mm-hmm. and Manny said hey would you mind coming in just sort of you know sitting around the office for a couple hours you know we don't know that we have a fourth season but if they you're pick not us getting up paid. you're, you're not hiatus. getting paid you're and, just coming in um, but also I also haven't like cleaned out my office yeah, yet yeah, so <laughs> um, so you know the building was, was kind of empty and I remember walking into Manny's office and on the whiteboard he had uh you know, all, all these ideas that were, I mean, they were very vague and, and we later d- discussed them, but, you know, one was, you know, the Vulcan Reformation arc. Um, you know, the, the, he, he wanted to do the mirror universe. It was just like seven or eight stories that he, that he wanted to tell. And it, not only that, we, you know, we had our, we had our budget cut in this, in this last yeah. season and, you know, we, we ended up shooting on digital instead of film, which a lot of people weren't particularly happy about. So there was real concern. How are we going to? You know, Manny wanted to do some very epic stories. How do you do that with less money? And uh, you know, the way you do that is you do two and three part episodes, so you can build a great set, amortize it across three episodes. And I feel like we found in that fourth season, uh, kind of the magic formula for how you do Star Trek in this new era. You don't necessarily have to do a twenty six long episode long story arc or a forty two minute story. Mm-hmm write a movie that takes place over two or three or four episodes and you can dig into those guest characters that you're bringing in and you can spend the money, you know, and build amazing sets. We rebuilt most of the original series yeah, sets yeah. for a two-parter I wrote. Um, and it ended up being a much richer type of storytelling. It was more satisfying for the audience. And I, I don't know that that lesson was... was was learned by people who have gone on to make, you know, future Star Trek television productions. Not to, not to <laughs> now,
4: Certainly not.
0: <laughs> now, let me ask you, um, were there any, I guess there were no preliminary conversations about what a season five would have looked like because, of course, you found out while you were shooting um, uh, in, in A Darkly that, um, that the show was being canceled. I mean, had did it ever come up? Had there been a fifth season? You know, what direction you would go in or, or what you'd like to do?
2: Um... I mean yes and no I mean in, in production you're just you know running ahead of the train and just trying to come up with next week's episode it it felt like a luxury to kind of sit around and go what will we do next season
0: yeah yeah let me <laughs> let me let me reframe that then had in an alternate universe where enterprise is picked up for a fifth season um what what would you like to see in that show? More of the same? We, 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 what, what what would season five look like of uh, Star Trek Enterprise? Uh,
2: I th- I think you would have seen the beginnings of of, of the Romulan conflict. Mm-hmm. I, I know Manny wanted to go there. I, I you definitely would have seen more mirror universe episodes, which is why at the finale, even though some characters had apparently been died, it was sort of left ambiguous whether whether they had because. Even late in the fourth season, we were sort of hedging our bet. We could come back and we might want to continue this storyline. And the idea that Manny had that I loved was to do kind of a series within a series and revisit those Mirror Universe characters two or three times a season. So I would like to have revisited Empress Sato,
4: let me tell you. I bet you oh, yeah. would have, Rob. Yes, I would have. You
0: know, uh, one of the things that we, we didn't talk about, and, and Rob, maybe you want to speak to this, there was talk that Scott Bakula uh, could have been on the chopping block for season four, and part of that, I guess, would be to save money, but part of that, um, can you, can you, can you speak to that, Rob? Uh,
4: well, as you might know, uh, with Roger Lay Jr., uh, I was working on the Blu-rays of Star Trek: The Next Generation and Enterprise concurrently, so we were interviewing many people, including yourself, that were involved with those productions, and one of the the highest ranking members of those of of the production staff of those shows told us flat out that he was told by Les Moonves to let Scott Bakula go. That they felt that he was a little bit, I guess, milk toast, perhaps. Mm. A little bit too, didn't have enough of an edge, maybe it was too soft, uh, didn't like his performance for whatever reason. And the person flat out said no. Basically told Les Moonves, no, yeah. I'm not going to do that. And uh, that person's uh, career subsequent to Enterprise going off the air was made very frustrating. His his later tenure at Paramount, none of the shows that he had in development or she had in development were picked up and uh, that person felt that there was definitely a, uh, there was something vindictive coming from Les Moonves' It certainly
0: helped the show get picked up for a fifth season, that's for sure. Right. When you tell Les Moonves back in that era- that you're not going to take his suggestion, quote unquote, uh, that that's not going to bode well for your future at the. Well, network. listening
4: to the many stories that have come out uh, in in the wake of Les Moonves's fall from grace, he didn't. He did that to a lot of people. There are a lot of people that he, which is interesting to me because he wasn't even
0: a Star Trek fan. So really, no, what he did notoriously he did not like Star yes,
4: Trek. Yes, he he notoriously didn't like Star Trek. He was not a fan of science fiction in general. I don't think he really understood it. Um, but, like you'd said, uh, network executives and and, and the enterprise had more network interference. Basically, the Star Trek, Next Generation, um, uh, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager were pretty much hands off. They didn't have to deal with with network nearly as much as the the network was involved with. Yeah, with people Enterprise. don't
0: realize that you don't work in a vacuum. You're not only, you know, having to serve at the pleasure of Rick Berman and Brand Bragg, and the showrunner, but you know, normally on a show you're getting studio notes, you're getting network notes. Star Trek was a unique beast in that until really Enterprise, there was negligible amount of notes coming from Uh, the network and there was no, I mean, the studio and the network were basically the same thing. It was
2: basically Rick. Rick was our studio network. And, you know, Rick was, uh, you know, a guy who who came from uh, Paramount initially and ended up doing a a, a lot of writing. He had a lot of, you know, really terrific ideas. I I think sometimes he gets uh, a a bad rap. Um, I, (laughs) it was always a little scary going over to Rick's office, but (laughs) Um he uh is such a you know a learned uh you know, erudite personality. Yeah. Uh, um uh I remember going into his office once and uh, you know, this was long before Twitter, and he was on one of those Star Trek bulletin boards where people were just, you know, really running down the show and running him down and he was he wasn't participating in it, but he was reading it. Right. And I felt terrible for it. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think what he gave to the franchise over the years is often uh you know overlooked by you know the things that he may not have let certain writers you know perhaps including myself do you know I, I wrote a speech once for archer where we revealed that he was actually divorced which i thought was kind of like a cool little backstory uh-huh. and i remember rick's note was uh no star trek captains aren't divorced and i was like really okay you're the boss it's actually interesting
0: because it's like you know they're gone in space for so long and it's, it's a, you know it's 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 what's, what's the song it's mandy you know, <laughs> right, right. so it's kind of interesting. But by and large, I,
2: I, you know, Rick kept that franchise going for you know for a very very long time. Years. Indeed, he did. Twenty five seasons. You know, I, I and his yeah.
0: tenure is looking better and better all the time, isn't it? I I agree,
2: and I can't wait for him to write that book that this, he keeps this talking This brings
1: about. another question to mind. You mentioned that uh, that idea got shot down. Were there any? And this may be a, a difficult question to answer. Were there any ideas that you had in general that were just sort of re- refused, or uh, if 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 not, if you had been the showrunner and had been the deciding factor on everything, how would you have done the show differently? That's interesting.
2: Well, um, you know, not not to re- repeat myself, but you know, the the show we got to do in season four was, you know, very close to what I I felt the show could have been and, mm-hmm. and should have been. You know, maybe not so many homages to, you know, TOS as much as we did, but, you know, a show that was, uh, you know, a real and true prequel and and understood where we weren't just a prequel to Next Gen, we were also a prequel to the original series. Um, So, you know, and that's why that that season of television was so liberating, because, you know, they were rounding out their syndication order. Yeah. They um, basically
1: had nothing to lose. They
2: basically had nothing to lose. They really left us alone as, as long as we, you know, stayed within our budget. And they, they kind of didn't care. They kind of checked out. And that kind of freedom you almost never get yeah. in television. Until you know, they, you know you're being canceled. Right. Because I've had
0: that on shows where we knew we were being canceled and they leave you
2: alone. And, you know, it's kind of a bummer knowing that you're going to be canceled. But, again, for season four, for the, for the vast majority of the season, I, you know, I truly believe we were going to get a season five if we did a good enough job. I was probably deluding myself. But you always it, want to think that, though. You're totally, thinking, you such have a to. Good job.
0: They <laughs> have to pick us up, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but
4: indeed, you guys did. I, I mean, I thought you also pioneered that that two or three episode arc, which was sort of unique. That was way out of left field, I thought, especially for Star Trek. Yeah, and
2: I think you know that had come from uh, you know what we'd seen what Voyager had done. Voyager had done a couple of really great uh, you know two hour movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that had mm-hmm. were, were terrific, epic. Uh, episodes, and I, if I recall, that was sort of Manny's inspiration for 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 going that direction, and we'd stretch it out even further, make them three parts. You know, we didn't um, t- you know tie them all, air them all on, on, on a single night, but um, and it was it was a challenge. It was challenging for writers. It was even harder now to write a Star Trek episode because you're coming in and you're, it's it's like a, a relay race. You're picking up the baton from somebody and then sure. handing it off to somebody else, or. Somebody has given you an episode. They have no idea how it ends. <laughs> right, right. And now you got to tie all these pieces the together. The and... best of both worlds dilemma. <laughs> exactly. At least that was Michael Pillar. You know, screwing himself. Over. Well, let me <laughs> let me ask you
0: this. Completely unrelated to any of this. Um, there's this great. You know, Cary McCluggage was obsessed with hair. He ran Paramount, the network uh, at the time, the uh, studio, Paramount Studios, and uh, famously, you know, made them reshoot days on Voyager uh, because he didn't like Kate uh, Mulgrew's hair. I mean, at the cost of literally millions of dollars to reshoot because he didn't like her hair. And um, I know that there was some stuff with Bacula early on where it was either Moonves or McCluggage uh, who, who didn't like Bacula's hair. Do yeah. you remember? Uh,
2: vaguely. I think like initially he had more of like a, kind of a, a, a buzz cut and uh, they, they, they weren't. I feel like we, we had to like maybe reshoot the first day or two right. on Enterprise. Yeah. Um, I, I my memory's kind of failing here but um I, I do remember a, 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 you know they they've, they've got to give notes about something. If, Welcome <laughs> to Hollywood. <laughs> you
0: know, it's insane. It's insane. The amount of money that is wasted on such
2: trivial matters. It's it's incredible. To to uh what Rob was talking about earlier. I didn't hear everything that you're talking about now about Scott. This is all, you know, I never I've never heard this before. I I mean, I will say that Scott was absolutely a delightful guy to to work with he, he really was the the captain of that set the, the quarterback of the set um, you know I was a very junior writer on the show every time I showed up when they were filming he would come over to me said hello remembered my name um, a, a really wonderful person. no one has a bad word to say about him
0: and I I, I remember when I was writing the book uh, the only time he ever lost his temper apparently was when he read the script for the finale and he was upset that they were doing a Next Generation episode for all intents and purposes rather than tying up Enterprise. And, you know, obviously Scott has gone on to great success on NCIS New Orleans and uh, it's sort of validated him as a performer and uh, as a star. Um, but, yeah, what was your feelings about that, that controversial finale? UVN Next. Just beyond the next planet. Just beyond the next story. The last hour.
3: The last episode ever. One incredible goodbye. Been in a hell of a run. I believe I'm going to miss you. As distant future generations look back, Frank is bigger than this. A lot of things
2: change in two hundred years.
3: On her last heroic missions.
2: How many died?
3: 71. Her journey ends where the Federation begins. Here's to the next generation. Star Trek Enterprise. The final episode. UVN Next.
2: Um, I remember it was the, the first time since the pilot that our, my executive producers had given me a script and said, what do you think? Huh. <laughs> and I was huh. like, okay. Um, <laughs> it, 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 and I, I've said this before, I think it was a great idea for a standalone episode of Enterprise to do a, a next gen episode in the middle of the run. Sure. Uh, I, I thought that was a terrific... And that's where that, that came from. And uh, the, early on, the idea was that, you know, maybe we'd even, like, change the opening titles, literally make another episode of Next Generation, mm-hmm. maybe get more of that cast back. Right. Love that idea. When it became the finale of Enterprise, I think that's when they ran into problems. Sure. Um, so uh, on, on, it, it could have been one of the best episodes of that show. Um, but, you know, you're killing off a beloved character. You're trying to wrap up the characters who the most of our audience has spent, you know, four years... It's not falling in love with at least tolerating
0: well it really antagonized the fans who were fans so, of enterprise yeah you know because there are i mean a lot of people who enterprise is their show you know i mean I, right. I always point to tracy tour great quote about next generation he told me many years ago he said to some people the beatles were just paul mccartney's band before wings you know, he's talking about the original show versus Next Generation. And, you know, that could apply to all the Star Trek shows. And, you know, for some people, Enterprise is their absolute, it's their jam. It's the show they love more than anything. And that's great. They all have that. Voyager, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, Next You know, everyone, every, it's now Discovery, their people, that's their show. And... Um, and it's great. So, in a way, you can see why they would be upset. I actually enjoyed that episode for what it is. Sure. But uh, I can see why people would be offended or upset that they're not giving Enterprise the send off that it has earned or deserve. You know.
4: Well, if you watch, I think it's the season three Enterprise set. We did the cast reunion. It's a roundtable conversation that Brandon moderates, and they get the cast gets their licks in to Brandon I mean they 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 express their discontent you know and Brandon basically apologizes to them on camera but yeah but really hindsight is 2020
0: you know it's easy to Monday morning quarterback and you know look I I, I, I have to say and I'm not gonna defend the decision but you know in a way uh Rick and Brandon had been with that franchise for such a long time they knew that the writing was on the wall this was it and I think you know some say it's more you know, it was more Rick saying, remember when I did successful shows? Um, but, but <laughs> you know, more than that, it was a tying a bow on, you know, not just Enterprise, but this 20 years, 25 years of of, of stuff. He was there at Farpoint, and he was there at the end. And I understand the inclination. And, um, you know, it, the framing device is still, you know, I mean, yes, it's Next Generation, but it's still Enterprise. And they just done this two-parter, you know, which was, I, like, I'm not defending it but I understand the instinct. And, and it's very easy to criticize, but until you've sat in that chair. <laughs> right.
4: Well, I, I think it's, you know, what you guys did, that was the 18th season of, of, of 18th year of Star Trek that was produced, 25 seasons. Um, you had below the line crew that had worked on it since Farpoint in 87. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of the great runs of television in, in it's the history of the medium. And and sure. you were you know you were a part of that and I think anybody who was a part of that uh, is is part of an era of
2: of TV that
4: we might not ever see again. Well, Mark, you were asking me what was
2: you know my reaction when I you know first got that script when I got that finale script. It was Untitled Series Finale, right. and it ended with um, uh, a scene on the Enterprise D, and the final shot of the script was the Enterprise D sailing off into the sunset, and I was like. I was aghast. I mean, this is the last episode of Enterprise. You can't end with Picard's ship flying away. So I pitched them exactly what they ended up doing. I I wrote it up in a memo. Let's do Space, The Final Frontier. We'll start with Picard. Mm -hmm. We'll show Kirk and his Enterprise. And then we'll end with Scott. And then, you know, because I desperately wanted that to be our opening of the show. If you're gonna do a Star Trek show with <laughs> an Enterprise in it, right. you get to do Space the Final Frontier. Yeah. So we finally got to do it for, for that episode, and then of course the title was born out of that yeah. of that sequence. Yeah. Um, if, if, the, if that episode had generally like taken that spirit of celebrating all of the shows, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I think it could have been more successful. Yeah, because
0: nobody complains about Trials and Tribulations. You know, nobody <laughs> complains that, well, Deep Space Nine was really doing an original Star Trek episode. The, the people love that episode. In fact, Ira Bear sometimes gets a little pissy because he's like, when he says, what's your favorite episode of Deep Space Nine, Trials and Tribulations, he's like, that's not our show! Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, what if, if that had been the final episode of Deep Space that, Nine? Well, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's true. It would
4: have been better. Did, um, <laughs> <laughs> did, I have a question. Uh, did Scott Bakula record the entire opening narration? Or did he just record that section of it?
2: Oh, uh, for the finale? Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I would I, imagine he did the whole thing. Oh, well, I'm not sure. I don't know that he would have because we, it was scripted. Right, sure. He, he just got a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. uh, the, the final part. And it was the one time you s- even see in our final episode, it was the one shot of of the you know Enterprise NX-01, was the, the final shot sailing off into a nebula. Uh,
0: like, I'm so glad that you came down to talk about Enterprise. I, I, I think... You know, it's interesting. When I was writing my book, I I, and I've said this before. You know, I hadn't seen all the Enterprise episodes at the time, and I I had never written about it. And so, I really wanted to write that chapter. I said to Ed Gross, it was one of the first decisions. I said, I really want to write about Enterprise because I really know very little about it. I said, it's like being an archaeologist. It's like this is going to be a chance to to actually learn about Enterprise. And and I was really glad I did it. I got to meet people like you and 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 uh, who I didn't know because I had really no contact or anything with Enterprise. And I'm really glad because there's so many people are discovering the show thanks to streaming and are coming back to it. And I hear more and more people who really love the show. So to be able to sort of go and and look back at at the decisions that were made, why they were made, um, you know, hopefully shine a light on some episodes that maybe people aren't familiar with that they should go check out. Because you were involved with so many. And we said it before. And anybody who listened to our 51 greatest Star Trek episodes will hear, you know, will have heard. uh, In a Mary Darkly is on there. and, And you mentioned Cogenitor. And I really like regeneration there's so many the forge i mean there's some really fantastic episodes and and they should check it out it's very easy to watch and beautiful blu-ray set that you were involved with not only are the transfers of the individual episodes but the the bonus features that you and roger lay did uh, are are really fantastic
4: well like like the fourth season of the show when the documentaries were done uh we had a lot of oversight on tng we had a lot of the legal department pouring over because we'd when we were doing those documentaries that was the only new star trek programming that had been made for quite a while and we had done hour we did full seasons of it if you look at in terms of hours produced so we had two sets of two lawyers that were dedicated just to looking at what we were doing and everybody what they were saying they once we were going on next generation they really eased up on the enterprise documentaries so if you look at the enterprise documentaries they're about
0: as candid as you could get. Oh, yeah. And that Rick and Brannon interview is sensational.
4: Yeah. I mean, it was, and Brannon and Rick, they, they. I mean, they, they're, they, they practice decorum. But I, if you're interested in Enterprise, uh, I would pick up those Blu rays, if only for the special features, because there's a lot of candor. Yeah. Amongst everybody involved. And, and Brannon really rolled out the red carpet and anything we wanted, he made
0: sure we got it. He was so supportive of those efforts, both on Next Generation and Enterprise. And it was like watching a therapy session with them talking about oh, their yeah. experience, like the, you know PTSD from dealing with the UPN at the time. And then, of course, there's the cast and crew reunion and David Goodman, and there's some great commentaries. And, yeah. um, it's just uh, really, really, really terrific. But um, thank you for being on the show again, and we look forward to having you back in our future episode. Oh my pleasure. It's always great to have Mike Michael Sussman because not only has he worked on the show but he's such a huge fan of all the iterations of Star Trek so that's always great.
1: We've been through death and life
0: together. <laughs> and we will again. That's <laughs> Is the that video a duty of Doctor Spock. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Oh. Oh. Dr. Spock. Dr. that was a good episode okay well anyway I want to remind you you can follow Inglorious Trek experts on Twitter and Instagram at inglorious Trek as well as on Facebook where you can continue the conversation by suggesting future show topics and give us feedback on every episode um, we like feedback good bad and different in addition if you like what you hear please rate us five stars at Apple podcasts you can we did not uh, you know do an episode of next generation for our finale so you can give us five stars <laughs> you can hear new episodes of Inglorious. Trek Experts every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, you can check out our new podcast, Disco Nights, with host Chase Masterson and special guests every week, with all new episodes premiering every Thursday night. And finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter, Natalie Miscali, and everyone here at Electric Search Network for making the show possible. Couldn't do without them. And uh, so uh, until next week, on behalf of Michael Sussman, Robert Meyer Burnett, uh, Darren Dockerman and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course, engage. It's been a long road
5: Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finding I will see my dream come alive at last and I will touch the sky They're not gonna hold me down no more No, they're not gonna change my mind